Mm-hmm. I'm from like a hugging family. Like, right. You know, so even you just have to hug your extended family, even if you don't like them. No shade to any of my extended family <laughs> who are listening to this. Yeah, oh Annie, who don't you like? <laughs> no, no, name, like, name. Like, as kids, like you just meant, you just told, like, mm. oh, you know, give that auntie a hug or something, you know. And then, or, and then they would like, you know, like squeeze your cheeks or like give you a kiss. And, you know, I would never feel like very comfortable with that. But it was something that was just sort of expected of you. Tuned in to the conversation for her, by her. This episode was recorded in the pod at White City Place. Hello everyone and welcome to the Conversation podcast brought to you by Women of Power UK. I'm B Duncan and I'm here today joined by three very, very special women to chat about some important things. Uh, you will recognise two of their voices, but we also have a very special guest, so I'll let her introduce herself first. I'm Celine, I'm president of FemSoc or the Feminist Society at SOAS and also a consent workshop facilitator there and helping to produce the Consent Vent podcast series. Amazing. Mm. And uh, yeah, two familiar voices. <laughs> My name's Annie. I'm a journalist, podcaster and food enthusiast. Hello, I'm Zulika Lebeau. I'm an artist, poet, nerd and currently facilitating workshops, podcasts, etc. with Women of Power UK. Incredible. Um, so our topic today is quite a hefty one. We're going to be talking about consent, all the things that go into consent. We're talking sexual, non-sexual, everything really. Um, so this is just a quick warning. Um, if you are affected by any of the issues that will be coming up in the show, um, if you are triggered by anything, please do uh, stop listening. We're going to be talking about some quite interesting topics, but also we're obviously going to be talking about sexual consent and lack of sexual consent so um, that is the warning we're going to be talking about that in this episode today and so let's just get straight into it really um, and I mean hopefully you have all consented to be here and talking yes. to me <laughs> I consent <laughs> which means that at some point you have learned something about consent um, and so what I want to know is what your education of consent was like if you had any at all um, and I ask this just because my main memory of being taught something about consent was my mother sitting me down on a step in our kitchen and going, B, if you don't want to give a boy a blowjob, oh, you well. don't have to. How old are you when this happened? I was 17. Oh, okay. oh okay. Don't worry, gosh. <laughs> I was 17. I just ha- I just told her that I had uh, started dating my first ever person. Um, and yeah, that was kind of her big chat with me because she'd heard that people were being forced to be given blowjobs. Um, so what was your memory of, wow. of consent, whether it was at school, formal, informal? I actually didn't, can't really think of anything. Um, mm. I, I don't think I was taught anything either, like, indirectly or directly. I know at school we had no lessons on that. We had, like, sex ed lessons, but they, had, they didn't encompass, like, consent at all. Mm. Um, I think it was probably maybe a given that, you know, you are consenting to, you know, have sex with someone and you know that that was kind of a given really but there was nothing really told about that but yeah mm. what about everyone else well I mean I was thinking about this I've spoken I've spoken about this in a previous episode like my gran when I was pretty young like five or six because she used to be a head teacher and she obviously heard all the horrible stories about kids getting abused and that so she sat me down she was like you don't let anyone touch you do you <laughs> 
Oh and I was sort of very like terrified. No, grandma, no, don't. No, no, no. <laughs> like, like my yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but somehow I knew I knew what she meant. That it was like the bad touch to you know mm. paraphrase. Um, and so yeah, like that was kind of my first introduction to consent. And also my mum saying to me, you know, if you don't want to like, if you don't want to hug someone, you don't have to hug them. Mm. Um, and I'm really grateful to her now because sometimes I don't want to hug people, so I just bloody don't. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's that was yeah. my first. I mean, because obviously, Celine, you run consent workshops now, yeah. so you probably have quite an interesting perspective on like how you're running them now versus what you got taught. Mm. Yeah, because I didn't. The word consent was never mentioned, even though I did receive obviously some sex education at school. But also, you know, my parents didn't really mm. mention consent. It was more, I guess, some indirect learning from some of my friends or my sisters bad encounters or experiences mm. and then thinking oh that doesn't sound right yeah. or that yeah. there's something missing there and that's yeah mm. definitely yeah. not from school or yeah it's interesting because I actually do think that when I hear other people's experiences I wouldn't ever say that I had a comprehensive uh, education on consent but we did do in PSHE and sex ed there was one that always sticks in my mind which was a worksheet and it was a lift and it was like called the relationship lift. And at the time I thought it was ridiculous, <laughs> obviously, because I was 16 or whatever. Um, and like I, an elevator lift. So yeah. yeah, it was an elevator. And in it, it had, there was a draw, a cartoon of two people and then there were different floors. And you would write down in this worksheet different floors that you felt comfortable oh. in a relationship. I mean, at the time, yeah, that's really decent. obviously you think it's ridiculous and yeah. you kind of yeah, go, why am I doing this? Yeah. And all of your friends are laughing mm, about it. Yeah. But now when I look back, I think, actually, that was a really interesting thing. So you could mm. put, and and the thing that it was really emphasising was, it's going to be different for different people. Yeah. Yeah. Your floor two is going to be different to someone else's floor four. Mm. Um, and it was really kind of emphasising this idea of when you're ready to move to the next floor with your partner mm. um, but I mean again it was not comprehensive at all and that's definitely something that conversations that have been brought up recently in feminism I guess mm. um, and so yeah thank you very much for sharing those stories I think we might as well keep talking about sex at the moment because that is where I am talk about <laughs> sex baby cool to quote salt pepper it's the best bit um, <laughs> because I actually wanted interesting talk about your uh, Zalika's your thing about children and hugging and stuff mm. like that um, because there's an interesting discussion to be said about kind of verbal and non-verbal consent about the idea that some uh, children you can't actually put into words at that point yeah. Yeah. what you want and what you don't want yeah there's a really interesting video that I saw going around it was a classroom and as the kids are going into the classroom they can there's like a, a poster on the wall oh, that says yes hug or dance or high five yeah, yeah. and they choose how they want to say hello to their teacher yes yeah. yeah and then they can go in yeah that's a really cool way of kind of saying you can choose you if you don't want to hug people yeah you can give a high five or you can just you know wave or something like that if yeah, you don't feel yeah, comfortable because yeah. so many parents do actually feel that they they will say to their children oh give that person a hug yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. I'm from like a hugging family, like right. you know. So even you just have to hug your extended family, even if you don't like them. No shade to any of my extended family <laughs> who are listening to this. Yeah, oh Annie, God, who don't you like? <laughs> no, no, name like, name. Like as kids, like you just meant, you just told, like, mm. oh, you know, give that auntie a hug or something, you know. And then, or, and then they would like, you know, like squeeze your cheeks or like give you a kiss, and you know, I would never feel like very comfortable with that, but it was something that was just sort of expected of you mm. um you know so in that way 
it is it's it's really important to teach those kids like you know within the classroom and outside of the classroom you know how to how to make them feel comfortable and how to tell adults you know whether you feel uncomfortable or not mm. yeah yeah and it's because there's quite a worrying statistic actually that came out from America which was that 18% of college students think that somebody has consented as long as they didn't say no and this is a problem obviously that happens I'm sure not just in America um, where people are taught no means no but very often people aren't taught actually if somebody looks uncomfortable if somebody is kind of frozen up mm. um, is that something that you teach people in your consent workshops? Yeah I think I mean? a really important point that we emphasize in the workshops is that if you have any doubts whatsoever then you should not engage or in whatever you're doing or you should stop immediately what you're doing if you have any doubts about the person's giving or ability to give their consent or mm. whether they're they want to retract their consent then you should stop immediately mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah because i think it's really important to emphasize that hesitation is not a yes or being silent is not saying yes yeah. and i think a lot of people have are just not taught that at school Mm. And do you teach people um, who are sort of initiating these uh, situations that, like, you know, they're the ones that are responsible for receiving the con consent? Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is that they feel that it's the the other person's responsibility to say no right, or yeah. to. Mm. But actually, yeah. it should the emphasis should be on you to mm. seek that consent and to actively make sure that you have it and to yeah, make yeah. sure that they're they don't want to retract it at yeah, any yeah. point. Yeah. It's interesting because I was watching um, a video about consent, um, sexual consent, not just like hugging or high fives or anything. And um, so many people were commenting, oh, but it makes the sex dry if you have to stop and say, is this OK? Or like, and I'm like, OK, seriously, consent is sexy. Me knowing that if I touch somebody and they want to be touched and they say, yes, that's mm. fine. Mm -hmm. That's sexy because why would you not be turned on by somebody saying, yeah. yes, I want that? And it's not um, even hard, though. Like, yeah. if you just say, like, is this okay for yeah. you? Like, is this too much? Just say, like, yeah. if you want to stop. Yeah. Like, how is that How is that crossing a line for some people? I don't yeah. understand. And I think a big issue with that is also the representation of consent in the media, how mm, it's right, always yeah. portrayed in films and TV as, you know, it ruins the moment. Or you would never, mm. you don't really see sex scenes that have, oh, is this okay? Can I touch you here? Or, yeah, mm. yeah. And I think, you know, that's a really big issue. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting because... Um, kind of one of the things that you hear about with the stuff about it being not sexy, dry, ruins the moment. Um, but when you look at very often uh, people who are in relationships, uh, BDSM sexual relationships, mm. one of their big things is consent. And very mm. often they actually draw up sexual contracts between the people involved in the sexual situation. And yet kind of BDSM is often considered the kind of kinkier sex yeah. and no one would think that it was dry and boring yeah. and yet they literally sit down and sign yeah. and say this is my safe word this is what I want you to call me this is what I want you to do to me this is what I don't like yeah. and that is seen as being super kinky and yet we can't seem to deal with that in our everyday sexual experiences I think, I think we need to normalise it yeah yeah that's and print issue. off sexual contracts just put them yeah. on your bedside table <laughs> <laughs> so who ha who watches South Park here does anyone watch South Park no so South Park has a character called PC Principal 
And there's an episode where like the whole town goes like super PC and it's like a frat boy house, but it's a PC frat boy house. So they have like a huge party and everything else. And in the morning, PC principal is knocking on all his mates' doors, going and say, "Hey guys, can I have your uh, your consent forms, please? Like after you slept with a woman, you need to make sure that you have your consent form. Do you have your consent form?" And he's knocking on all the doors, and I'm just like, "Right on, PC principal. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Like why not? Why not have a little form? Like yeah, I'm I'm cool with this. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that." It seems, yeah, it seems like it's the perfect way of doing sort of stuff, yeah. really. Yeah. It's like, it's it's one of the safest areas, really, yeah. people who do BDSM, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the key aspects of their relationship. That's why mm. so many of them are so furious with Fifty Shades of Grey, for example. Oh, it's ridiculous. Um, but, I mean, to, on the topic of contracts, moving slightly away from sexual consent, I suppose, <laughs> um, an interesting stat that I saw was that only 17% of people always read terms and conditions. You are joking. The things that they sign up to. Yeah. Um, and this is obviously a big problem at the moment. We've had um, people getting quite angry about social media websites selling yeah. details. Or yeah, whatever. data mining. Um, even though no one really reads the terms and conditions anyway yeah. when they sign up. So what I want to know is whether you think in this age where people just say yes to everything, um, how are we expected to value consent between each other when no one seems to value it day to day. Mm. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's a juicy one, isn't Stop. it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's that they don't value it in the day to day or if it's that it's you don't even realise what you're you're not even thinking about what you're consenting to yeah. or you know, you just sort of see accept cookies or accept yeah. and you just, yeah, you just want blindly. to read Yeah, the article about Kim Kardashian and you just <laughs> Yes, I'll accept. But. <laughs> yeah, and it's really interesting because um, in the workshops, uh, we uh, have people separate into four groups and um, one of the groups would have to come up with what are examples of consent beyond sexual encounters. Mm. And it was always the most difficult one. Like, we'd have to feed them, you know, well, have you, when you accept terms and conditions for Facebook or... And then that's when they'd go, oh, yeah, I see. But, um, yeah, it's interesting to see how people don't even really realise that those are situations in which you have to give consent mm. or, you know, if you... Mm. Yeah. 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 I think it's a really interesting sort of time that we're living in right now within the sort of GDPR restrictions. Mm. And, you know, I remember I, I did a stint in recruitment, like, just before GDPR, like, came out. And it was it was a minefield for them because we had, like, a giant data bit. I'm, I think I'm allowed to talk about this now. <laughs> <laughs> how, well, long, how long has it been since you worked there? Over a year. Oh, yeah, you're fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> and... Um, yeah, they had, like, a giant database and, like, we basically had to purge the database because there was, like, a load of people that we had mm. to, like, contact to make sure that, you know, are we allowed to keep their details? Are we allowed to sort of send them, like, job um, mm -hmm. job descriptions and stuff like that? So it was, it's a minefield, really. Yeah. It's a really interesting time that mm. we're living in right yeah. now. It really is. And one thing that I've actually been thinking about recently um, because I was listening to something about... Um, organ donation mm. and about uh, the kind of opt-in, opt-out situation and the fact that actually I very much advocate for an opt-out scenario where you are automatically on a list mm. and if you don't want to be on the list you opt out and you say no thank you rather than the other way. When I think about it that seems like almost forced consent in the sense that if you aren't even aware which a lot of people wouldn't be. Yeah. Is that right? And I was kind of wondering whether that's a little bit of a contradiction for me in terms of consent. I think here's the thing with stuff like that, right? 
that's something that could potentially save somebody's life. Mm -hmm. And if you are somebody that really disagrees with it on the basis of religious reasons or whatever, whatever, that is your obligation to make sure that you are informed as somebody who is living a lifestyle that does not condone organ donation or whatever. Mm. So that is that is up to you to make sure that your organs aren't donated. Do you know what I mean? Like you need to make a will. And this is what is horrific for me as well is is the statistics of how many people don't make wills, how many people are not don't empower themselves re like legally regarding organ donation or just their property before and after death. Mm. Um and I think, yeah, you know, I personally agree with you that there should be an opt-in. Um, I mean, sorry, an opt-out. Opt and it should, you know, everyone should should be donating their organs, yeah. basically. Well, I, I understand what you're saying, like, um, in in the terms of, you know, you should opt, you should opt out. But then, you know, I think, I think it's kind of, I don't really know how to put it. Like, it is contradictory because then where do you draw the line? Mm. You know, then are we saying, like, we should opt out of, you know, everything? I, I don't really know mm. how else to sort of explain it, really, because I, f I find it, like, slightly contradictory. Yeah. What about if it um, can save lives, though? Yeah, I understand that, but then, like, do you not think that there are people out there who will kind of take, use this kind of oh, situation to yeah, their yeah. advantage? Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas if you opt in, then, you know people who are opting in they are aware of their choices mm. you know and they are actively consenting mm. rather than you are actively not consenting to have your organs not donated mm. i think the reasons why you want to opt out are important so as you said if it's religious or like the consent workshops that's us are compulsory but we have an opt-out option if you're an, a survivor or you know you but, can yeah. speak to somebody mm. and yeah. choose to then attend survivor uh, only consent workshops which we do run as well but the reason why you're opting out is important i think mm -hmm. so but i definitely see what you mean by yeah it should i be understand something. that yeah. Yeah. yeah i do understand that yeah i just think i mean i think it's an interesting maybe it's a case of that there's an automatic exemption if you say for example on your medical records that you are of a certain religion like so for example if somebody's a jehovah's witness mm. It right. is absolutely, yeah, you know that that person is never going to accept a blood transfusion, mm. is never going to accept organs, all of that stuff. Like, that's kind of an automatic given. Um, so perhaps there's just more education that we need to have on these religions that don't accept organ donation mm. as part mm. of their mandate. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. I watched a film um, a couple of days ago called The Children Act and it's about Jehovah's Witnesses mm -hmm. and um, it's got Emma Thompson in it and she's a lawyer and it's a, a boy who's 17 and nine months or something and he needs a blood transfusion for uh, to save his life mm -hmm. and the parents are saying that he can't have it she overrules that and says that he has to have it in mm -hmm. terms of because she's he's a, not a legal he's not of legal age right. um, which is really interesting and that's something that I want to touch on about ages of consent because it varies in so many different places when it comes to sexual but also just the time that you become an adult so in this film they were arguing I mean he's basically an adult he's so he's so close to being 18 and she said well even if we were discussing this on the evening of his birthday he still wouldn't be an adult mm. um, so I wanted to just get your perspective on ages of consent when it comes to being an adult and also sexual consent um, because it, there's such a variation I mean the highest 
um, in South Korea, you have to be 20. 20 is the age of consent. Mm. Um, and it goes all the way down in the world to Nigeria, where it's 11. Um, but there are some that don't have ages of consent at all. Mm. Um, so like Iran, Yemen, the Maldives, because you have to be married. And so they don't have it, any age oh, of consent, okay. even written down. Um, yeah. What do you think about consent and ages, ages of consent and how we even begin to decide when somebody becomes an adult? It seems so arbitrary. I have really strong feelings about these kinds of things Mm -hmm. Um, so on the one hand I think all right moral cultural relativism um, which is you know obviously in whatever culture you're from the age when you are considered to be an adult is it should be the age of consent Mm. however from a perspective of just like biological maturity yeah um there are, you know, horrifying statistics about cervical cancer in young women who have sex too early or who have children too early. Um, for example, if you have if you have a child and have sex like sort of between the ages of 13 and 18, you're much more likely to contract cervical cancer um, and other kinds of cancers, you know, reproductive cancers due to just your system not being ready to um, bear children or to even have sex. So I think that we really have to think about those kinds of rationales when we're discussing mm. um, ages of consent and legally what when, when we can and can't do things. So for example, in this country, 16 is the age of consent sexually. Um, you can get married at you know 16 if your parents sign a consent form and everything, but you have to be 18 to drink. You can join the army, but you can't drink. You can have sex, but you can't drink. You can drive, but you can't drink. You have to be 18 to do multiple other things. You can join the army, but you can't vote. Yes. (laughs) So, I mean, for me, there's a a kind of disconnect in Mm. a lot of countries, like, between legal kinds of other things that we can do and what we can and can't do sexually. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of discussion as well about whether ages of consent make people feel like they should be having sex. Yeah. Um, Mm. There was a survey actually that came out really, really recently that said that um, half of women, 43% of men, said that when they lost their virginities, they were not ready. Mm. They were not... They didn't feel competent. Um, And that's quite a terrifying statistic, actually. And the number of people, I think a lot more... Uh, men said that they lost their virginities just because they felt like they had to because their friends were Um, do you think that that's even should that be a consideration when we talk about ages of consent I think it should be perhaps in line with the education that we're giving the children uh, Mm -hmm. and young people Um, so how can we say that the age of consent is 16 when you know, you're only given, like, one sex ed class, you know, in year 11. Like, mm-hmm. how 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 can we possibly teach everything to do with consent and such, such sexual education and um, teach young people, um, you know, to make good choices when it comes to se- sexual consent and non-sexual consent when actually the education that we're, that we're giving is not, is, is not, you know, all-encompassing, um, you know, of, mm. of all that. Um, yeah, I absolutely. actually can't remember your question. No. Mm. <laughs> no, I don't even really does. think I had a specific no, I question. Think it does. I think it does answer the question. Yeah. I think it's really important 
that the law is there in situations where, because it's a different situation if there's two people that are 16 and choosing to, you know, experiment sexually. And then if it's a 40-year-old trying to engage with a 17-year-old or 16-year-old, and I think in those situations, the power dynamics and the the fact that the law is there to protect Mm -hmm. that person, the Mm. younger person, is really important. Mm. Absolutely. But do you think that the law does protect younger people? Because, say for the sake of argument, somebody is 16 and legal, there's nothing preventing that 40-year-old legally from engaging in sexual activity with that person. Yeah. Is it 16 in the the UK? UK, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, yeah, I think that's definitely the law isn't necessarily the it doesn't reflect morality or legality Mm. does not equal morality Mm. so it's definitely yeah Yeah. like you need to look at you know the power dynamics in that situation and the fact that it's not Mm. right I think that's the tricky thing when I think about stuff like the age of consent and when you become an adult and power dynamics is that actually even in law there are power dynamics in that law was created from a white male standpoint Mm -hmm. which is now considered to be neutral unbiased fact Mm. um and yet even when you go into courts of law with rape cases or with um yeah underage because if you have sex with someone who's underage it is still rape um there are still so many power dynamics even in the courts of law Mm. that make it difficult to to kind of avoid um and that's when i struggle when it comes to age of consent because I I don't know if it obviously it's important to have you have to have a, an age of consent but and it's very clear if you look at even the language in the law that it, it, it isn't neutral so yeah. even the definitions of rape and other uh, sexual crimes it's it makes certain assumptions about the perpetrators um, mm, you know yeah. it's like saying you must have a penis to rape somebody and if you don't then it doesn't fall under the offense of rape it's actually it would be classified under something else yeah yeah so yeah yeah. it is oh sorry no i was just going to say it it completely cut yeah as you said it completely overlooks um you know lesbians and everything else and like just different kinds of sexual acts that somebody can conduct on somebody else that are a violation of their bodily autonomy Mm. um and it's the same with sex education in that it's yes. so cis-normative, heteronormative, exactly. and completely mm-hmm. disregards the fact that rapists can be women as well. You don't yeah. need to have yeah. a penis to be yeah. to rape Isn't somebody. it 8% yeah. of men are raped? Isn't yes. that the statistic? Yeah, and yeah. it's probably higher. of women. Yeah, yeah because, because we're only going on, like, cases that are reported. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that gets into a whole... Uh, opens a can of worms about what even counts as sex and there are so many things that could be considered rape for somebody Mm. which just because it wasn't you know what comes under the law it doesn't get doesn't get covered but Mm. um yeah no very interesting um i wanted just quickly to move on to something more about um implicit consent and when consent is assumed Mm. um and this was a kind of thought that I had recently about um, activists and about um, people who have certain lived experiences where people often assume that you have consented to be asked questions, that you've consented to educate, that Mm. you've um, consented to have discussions with them about certain things. And I kind of specifically wanted to ask you, Celine, just because you 
obviously do consent classes and you are the president of a feminist society. Do you ever feel that people assume because of that that you are ready at all times, you've consented to educating? Do you not mind if that is the case? I think I definitely don't mind if it's genuine questions or wanting to learn about something. But I think what I found, especially with on Instagram, is that certain posts will attract people that are usually men um, and that I don't know why, but they will seek out certain posts that are to do with feminism or or whatever topic and choose to comment on them. Um, but I think in the mindset of wanting to argue with somebody or just to, oh, okay, to yeah. be, you know, to, yeah, so that was something that I discovered. But um, I think in those cases, I've just found that I would, I tend to just leave the comments and then one of our followers usually will then engage with them mm. rather than me having to mm. engage with every single person that does mm. that. Yeah. But I can yeah, imagine it would be yeah. exhausting. Yeah. yeah, and I can't imagine for people that have, you know, um, activists that have very large followings, what it's like for them to try and mm. look at their comments and see these things and then decide, do I block this person? Do I delete this? Yeah, do I yeah. respond? Mm. And then do they? how do they protect their energy their mental health you know yeah. in trying to deal with that sort of thing mm. it's interesting because um paris lees who's um a model she's a trans woman oh, yes. she tweeted oh, recently yeah. saying um you know i'm not an activist i'm not she, she was like i'm a model i just happen to also be a trans woman mm. people were coming to her asking for her standpoints on things she was going just because i live as a trans woman it doesn't mean that i'm here to answer your questions mm. so even if people aren't actively activists a lot of the times if you have lived experiences as a trans person as a woman as a person of color as a fat person you're gonna assume people are going to assume that you've consented yeah. to these things have either of you two Annie or um i actually remember um this english class i was in uh, in secondary school where our english teacher was away and our headmistress she took over the class and I can't remember what book we were discussing um, and I went to like a moderately white school uh, and she sort of asked me uh, during the class like oh Annie what do you what do you think about this and I actually wasn't the only brown girl like in <laughs> in the room um, and like I was a, I was quite confused like because I was like well, why is she is she asking me like because we're discussing this or is she asking me because I'm because I'm brown like um, you know, and I get that. Um, I get that a lot, like especially if I'm in like um, a space full of like white people. Um, it it can be like you know I don't just want to talk about like my brown experience. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, I, I'll talk about it when I want to. You <laughs> yeah. know, um, yeah. and that's when I'm given consent to you know talk about my experience, my lived experiences mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. as a woman of color. But you know, I don't want to have to, you know. Um, Assume, be be assumed that I'm gonna talk about it all the time, you know. And I really do feel for activists like um, you know Monroe Bergdorf, yeah, mm -hmm. where you know she, even though like w everything that she says is brilliant, I can imagine like the kind of toll that it just takes on her, yeah. that she feels like she has to speak out on, uh, you know, every single thing, and you know, just, you know, clap back mm. against everything that Piers Morgan says. <laughs> be just exhausting you know oh I, I find it exhausting yeah. just having one or two conversations about it so I can't imagine how yeah. they feel it's um it's intense I mean as a person who is mixed and 
like particularly being Jewish, I get so many questions. Like once people find out I'm Jewish and a lot of the time I just don't tell people because I don't want to have the conversation because the lack of education, A, the willful ignorance, B, and the fact that you're expected to be a spokesperson for every single Jew is like just ridiculous. So I remember when I was like, I was in primary school and the kids used to ask me, are you afraid of Hitler? And I'd say, no, he's dead. Um, you know, he's been, he's been dead for like 40 years, (laughs) you know, um, and then they say, oh, is your hair curly because you're Jewish? Like that lot in Stanford Hill. And I'd say, no, my hair's curly because my dad is black. (laughs) Um, it's just like, there's so many different questions. And I find that I get that more regarding being Jewish than I get, um, being mixed. Although I do get it, you know, like choose a side or what do you think about this issue? Because... Because I'm white passing as well, obviously there's an assumption that I'm going to take the side of white people in the mm. big kind of Piers Morgan-esque debates. Um, and or there's a, there's a, this idea that I'll be like really militant or whatever it is. And they're actually surprised to find that, hey, my opinion is nuanced. Go figure. Mm. Like, mm. It's, and it's... It changes day to day. It might not be the same yeah. tomorrow. You can't be expected to like speak on behalf of like your whole community. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, I often say to people like I'm a bad Indian because I, I don't <laughs> engage I don't engage with a lot of my culture. Right. You know, so how can I be expected to speak on behalf of my whole community mm. when actually like, you know, I didn't grow up, you know, watching a lot of Bollywood movies, listening to that kind of music, you know, mm. having a lot of Indian friends. So how can I be expected to um, you know, speak on behalf of them, and then and then for you to ask me all these questions, and oh, it just gets a lot. Do you mm. ever feel like walking around with like a like some business cards that just say just Google it? They ask you a <laughs> yes. question. Yes, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Look it up. I feel like yes. my resting bitch face already does that anyway. <laughs> so like you, you know, if you ask me that word. question, and I'm just like giving you the resting bitch face. Just know that like I actually don't want to talk about this right yeah. now. <laughs> I remember being actually so shocked when I had a teacher and we were, uh, my French teacher, and we were in a small class and there was another um, mixed girl there who was also half Asian, but she was white passing. Mm. And um, the teacher asked me, uh, so Celine, like, how do, uh, how do Asian people like differentiate between like one another? She meant like visually. Oh God. Yeah. But then she replied, yeah, but then she said, oh, the difference. And I was, I I had nothing to say because I was shocked, but um, (laughs) she said that, you know, the difference is that because Asian people have dark hair, dark eyes, they differentiate by the shape of their eyes and the and you know and she was saying that with Caucasian people it's the, the difference in your eye color and your hair color and the, her daughter she had a mixed daughter this, her daughter was oh, half no. black yeah and so I was just shocked that she would even come up with this and also just that I was the one asked because I was the you know visible, like yeah, visually yeah brown being yeah. Wait, class and wait, being like wait. so differ yeah. yourself now be an other yourself yeah. right I now need, <laughs> I need clarification on something here so <laughs> your teacher in class in front of the other students yeah. asked you to differentiate between asked you to speak yes. on behalf of every single other Asian, Asian yeah, yeah and say this is how we differentiate between Chinese, Korean, Japanese. Yeah, or just, you know, she just asked, so how do Asian people differentiate between, between each other? Between themselves. Yeah, between themselves. Saying, yeah. saying that we all look like each other. Yeah, we all look the same, that basically. Was, to me, that was the implication. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's... Yeah. What did so you say? I, was, um, I had nothing. No, I was just... Yeah. I was 
got shocked. Yeah, yeah, I had, like, I was speechless. And then she just answered her question. But, um, yeah, yeah, I was, I remember being really shocked. Yeah, that. it makes me wonder yeah. what she's, like, teaching her children. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I was, it was also because her daughter, She she's white, but she has a mixed daughter, you mm. know, so it was just... Mm. Just goes to show. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's an interesting thing that that happened to you in school mm. yeah. where we're meant to be, it's part of our formative years, we're meant to be learning about stuff like consent and about um, giving consent to, to be asked questions, giving consent to give answers, mm. consenting to speaking, and yet it's being forced on you in that way. That's yeah. shocking. Well, that's it, isn't it? Is that's the implied consent? Yeah. That if you're in school, you're fair game for your teachers. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something that I've experienced as well. Like, and seeing teachers do to students, particularly when the student is different, is pick on them in a in a way like you mentioned, or just expect them to have all the answers or. Yeah. Even just, it's like a, it's almost like a bullying and it's okay because they're a teacher and they're educating you through this tough love. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously your, con- your consent has been given because you're a child, you don't have any autonomy at that point. And your parents have said, yeah, you have to go to school. And the government says, yeah, you have to go to school. Mm. Um, so in that way, we kind of rob kids of their consent because they can't, they can't say, I don't actually want to talk to this teacher. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. then you just get like, not persecuted for want of a better word, but then you just get like, you just get done by your teacher because mm. you're not, you mm. know, you're supposed to speak on this thing. Yeah. Um, because well, they're the teacher. Oh, sorry. Power dynamics again, yeah, isn't it? Is, it? Yeah. Karen, what were you going to say? Um, I was just going to say um, just the implied consent made me think of, you know, in the workshops we ask people, do you think that being married to someone gives you, does that mean you've given your consent forever or they never have mm. to ask for it again? And then, um, yeah, and then mm. we have people discuss that, and obviously the answer is no. It does not mean that you have yeah. their consent forever. But obviously, <laughs> yeah. I think assumed consent can only be if, you know, if you've been in a relationship maybe with someone for, I don't know, several decades, and you know what consent looks like from that person, then mm. in some situations you will know what that mm. looks like, and other people might not know. But, yeah. Yeah. but even then, you're still getting the consent from them yeah but you just exactly. know what because it looks you know, like yeah, you know you what just, it looks like you're yeah. better at it <laughs> yeah. yeah um it it's always gonna and that's why i really do advocate for i mean basically doing a form on like a one-night stand because if you don't know someone yeah you don't know how especially in terms of their body um you know maybe they look a little bit kind of rigid and shut off maybe they, they get cold really easily and so that's just how yeah. they are yeah. or you know there's so many different nuances that come with it mm. and you're going to be better at it when you've been in a relationship with somebody um yeah there's a lot about in kind of implying if you if you're halfway through can you stop yes of course you can stop yeah. you have you can withdraw consent as quickly yeah. as you can give it yeah um yeah really interesting stuff I want to quickly because we are running out of time just kind of talk about what consent means to you um, from any perspective whether mm. that is sexual or non-sexual what do you th- if you had to sum it up for um, I guess let's say a young person I guess Celine's probably going to be good at this not to put you on the spot to sum up sort of what just it, what it means to the you. The importance of it? Or, Anything yeah. you like. Yeah, the importance of it. 
So no one wants to <laughs> jump in first. Um, how would I? I would define consent as, uh, I guess, um, a verbal uh, contract between two people that are engaging in uh, a sexual activity, and um, you know the person who is initiating the activity is responsible for getting the consent. And they need to determine whether that other person is physically slash mentally capable of giving mm. that consent. Uh, checking body language as well, I think, is really important. You know, like you said, if their body is really rigid, then I think we need to sort of teach boys and girls in uh, in school, um, you know, that the signs of, you know, someone not giving their consent and asking for it. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of how I would define it anyway. Because mm. mm. I think, oh sorry, <laughs> um, for me, it, consent means informed decisions, in a kind of nutshell. Yeah. Mm. Where everything that you do, when you have the information, when you know everything, that's when you have consent. And that, when I used to work um, as a fundraiser on the street. Um, that was the main thing that was we were always looking for when it was about uh, when we were looking out for vulnerable people. It was about consent of everyone being informed about everything that you're doing. Mm. Um, so you say, "I work for this charity. I am this. Just so you know, I get paid this. I do this and this and this." Mm. Um, and obviously, that's a very kind of specific scenario, but I think it relates to a lot of different things when it comes to consent, even yeah. down to terms and conditions, accepting cookies on a website. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I would just say, I would go one step further than that and say that consent should be informed by your boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, every single boundary that you have, whether that be legal, mental, physical, emotional, etc. Mm -hmm. um, it should be ongoing if it's with friends, relatives, co-workers, um, it, or sexually. If it's on paperwork, obviously you should be fully informed and um, read those terms and conditions, people. <laughs> it's important. Don't accept those cookies if don't you don't want them. Don't accept them, yeah, man. Just don't, <laughs> just don't find it somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, I think I would just add that it's about respecting people's dignity and boundaries and humanity and just making sure that, yeah, the respect is there, whether it is within a sexual encounter or, you know, beyond sexual encounters, like consent should be prioritized and it should be you know normalized um and i think that's i think hopefully in the future there will be sort of a focus on consent education and it should be compulsory not just in universities but um all schools i think from a younger age as well mm -hmm. absolutely yeah well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining and being so open. Um, and especially thank you to Celine for being a spe very thank special guest me. and giving us so much interesting knowledge <laughs> about the stuff that you get up to with your consent workshops. And, yeah, make sure to tune in to uh, more episodes of The Conversation. We've also got a lot of previous episodes with some more familiar voices. But until then, thank you very much. And uh, always ask for consent, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Consent Bye. is sexy. Consent yeah. is sexy, people. <laughs> Ciao for now.